Oh, welcome, everyone. Good evening to you. Good to see you tonight. Tonight, we'll be looking at uh, uh, You Will Receive Power. We're we'll looking at the Holy Spirit, actually, uh, part two of the Holy Spirit, you might say. So uh, before we do that, we'll actually be looking at the scriptures with the passages that we're quite familiar with, the Pentecost story. Remember, talking about encountering the Lord, so we'll talk about the encounter of uh, the disciples with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So when we turn to the Lord in prayer as we begin tonight, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. So Father, we thank you and give you praise that you pour out your Spirit in the, these days to awaken your people to renewed faith in, your, in the risen presence of your Son. So we pray here at St. Patrick's that you would refresh us, give us times of refreshing in your Holy Spirit so that we may be awakened and deepened in our faith, so that it may result, Lord, in good works of mercy, in witness to your Son, and in our own lives, becoming more like your Son, Jesus. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to begin as we've been doing first with the Scriptures. So we're actually going to start with Acts chapter 1, and then we'll get to the notes uh, that you have here. We'll be doing tonight also is just um, after we finish with the notes on the paper, we'll be taking just about maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes of discussion in your small groups. And then um, afterwards, we'll come back. We'll just open it up for any comments, uh, questions that you may have, maybe been in your mind and heart over like the last six weeks, maybe been accumulating. And we'll just take some time just to, to dialogue about that. So Acts chapter 1, and we'll be actually looking at Acts 1 and 2. And again, um, you will receive power. Promise was made by Jesus to his disciples as he was getting ready. They say that the last words of a person are the most important words. And so when Jesus was getting ready to leave, he had some last things to say to his disciples. So verse 4, we'll begin here, Acts chapter 1. It says, And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you uh, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 6, so when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you come at this time to restore the kingdom of Israel, to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, for you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so let's take a look at some of these verses, and then we'll go to we'll actually go to Pentecost story in a minute. So Jesus was saying to his disciples, "Wait here in Jerusalem." Now they've been with him for three years; they've been trained by him, they've been pastored by him. They had the best Bible teacher in Jesus, they had the best pastor in Jesus, they had the best uh, trainer in Jesus, the best evangelizer in Jesus, they had the best of everything in Jesus. But yet he said, "Don't go anywhere yet, because you're not ready to go." So I would thought after three years of walking with Jesus, you'd be ready to go. They were not. He, and he told them so. So he said, rather wait. Wait for what? He says, wait, set for the promise of the Father. Okay, the Father's promise is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, and, he, and then he gives a description of what that's going to look like. John baptized with water, but before many days you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptized means to be dipped into. It means to be immersed in water. Uh, it needs to be drenched. So there's different ways you can think about it. Um, 
You can think about jumping into a pool on a hot summer day and being totally submerged from the top of your head to the soles of your feet by going down into the water. That would be considered a, like a baptism to be immersed into. Or you can stand under Niagara Falls. <laughs> All right? And you can be totally drenched under Niagara Falls and by standing under it. So the bottom line is that... The bottom line is that basically it, it, it involves you being totally immersed in the Holy Spirit, whether you're submerged totally or whether you're drenched totally from top on down or submerged totally by going under. So that's what the word baptism means. Now, what was he actually referring to? Well, it was believed in the Old Testament that the prophets used to say when the Messiah comes, he would give his Holy Spirit to all people. He would pour out his Holy Spirit lavishly upon him. So everybody who called upon the name of the Lord and put faith in him would be immersed in him or submerged in his life, be totally drenched in his life. Up until that time, it was only people like the prophets or the kings. They're the only ones that got the Holy Spirit with any measure. Sometimes people would get the Holy Spirit for particular works like uh, Samson had the Holy Spirit for just doing certain things, and that was it. So the prophet said, one day, everybody who belongs to the Lord, calls him his name, is going to be totally immersed or drenched with the Holy Spirit. And that would happen when the Messiah came. So that's what Jesus is talking about here by that phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, John the Baptist, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and twice in Acts, uses that phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and says that Jesus will do that. So it's, it's, you know, one time it appears in the Bible, it's important, but when it starts appearing like two, three, four times, it is really important. It describes what the mission of Jesus was, is to come to baptize his people in the Holy Spirit, to immerse them uh, in the life of his Spirit. Okay, so now let's look down to verse. Now the disciples, of course, verse 6, they were saying they thought he was going to restore his kingdom and the power of his, his kingdom politically and militarily. And Jesus said, look, it's not for you to know when my fa father's kingdom is going to finally come. But he says, verse 8, you shall receive power. And the word for power here in the Greek is dunamis. And it's, it's, a, it's a word that means uh, a transforming power. It's, it, uh, it, some people have a, used the analogy of like a stick of dynamite. Now, the biblical author wasn't thinking of dynamite because dynamite didn't exist back then. Okay, so but it's uh, an analogy would be like how a stick of dynamite when it, when it ignited and explodes transforms something. It changes the structure of something. Well, that's what the, that's what uh, the phrase doing this here means. It means transforming power. It tra changes us from the inside out, basically. Um, and and then it says, "You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem." Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Witness means that you'll be able to personally tell others what has happened to your life. And Jesus says, it's, you're, you're going to be my witnesses, which means it's about him you're witnessing about. But you're going to witness about him in a way that he's changed your life. And a witness means you'll be able to give evidence for the change and the transformation. Um, somebody once said a long time ago that if, if a Christian, as a Christian talking to me, if you were brought into a court of law, would they have enough evidence to convict you <laughs> that, that I was a Christian? You know, so that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do is so change us, right? 
that we can give witness to Jesus changing my life. And I, and I can point to him doing that. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. So, and Jesus is saying, that's what's going to happen. And you, can, you start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, which means then the whole focus is that this is what we mean by evangelization. It, you know, it starts with telling others how Jesus has changed my life because of my encounter with him. That's where it starts. Before we talk about the church or doctrine or the whatever, okay, we start with him and how he's changed my life because of an encounter. That's what we mean by witness or evangelization. And basically, all of us can do that, right? It's, it's just, it is our encounter with the Lord that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and then we share that with others. We just tell others about that. And you can use very simple language. It's because the Lord has designed it where it can be for anybody on the face of the earth who has a living encounter with Christ and he's changed their life in some way. They can just tell others about that. It doesn't mean your life or my life is perfect. It just means that I had an encounter with Jesus. He's made a difference in this way. And I'm going to tell you about it. So I'm a work in progress or I'm under construction, as the sign says. <laughs> so, but the bottom line is that I'm in the ball game because I've had a living encounter with Christ. He's alive. Okay. Now let's turn over to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see the day of Pentecost. And we'll read not the whole section here, but we'll read parts of this. Now in the outline later this evening, we'll be talking about uh, what those phrases mean, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and how that can be experienced today in our life, and so on. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each of them. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, we'll just take those four verses right now. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come. Now, which means when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Uh, Pentecost fulfills... The, the coming of Jesus. You know, he was born as a human being, as a man. He, of course, he taught, he ministered. You know, he had his passion, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And we always, somehow we forget about this part, but it was important that he leave and go back to the Father and pour out the Holy Spirit. That completes what he came to do. So if Jesus would have rose and went to heaven and never sent the Holy Spirit, forgot to send the Holy Spirit, you know, his, salva- his work of redemption would be incomplete. Because the disciples asked him, said, are you, why are you going away? And he said, I'm going away so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. He said, it's really, really important that I go away. You know, because then you'll be able to have me dwelling in you in a way that you don't have right now. So Jesus was saying to them, I'm going away so I can complete the work of redemption by sending the Holy Spirit. Okay, and then it says, like, um, a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. Wind in the scripture always referred to the Holy Spirit, and it filled the house where they were sitting. So it's an all-encompassing work of the Lord in people's hearts. And then it says, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire. So tongues as a fire is actually going back to Mount Sinai in the desert. There at Sinai, that was a big, big event for the Hebrew people. At Sinai, the Lord gave the law, the Torah, to his people. 
And there it was described by Moses that it was like fire burning in the hearts of his people when he gave the Torah, the word of God. So now what we see is on the day of Pentecost, we see Sinai again, fire of God's love transforming the human heart, just like the Torah did for the Hebrew people centuries before on Mount Sinai. The difference, of course, being obviously that the passion, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of his Holy Spirit now dwells in us, whereas with the Hebrew people at Sinai, it didn't dwell, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in them at all. It was just the Torah was given, the law was given, but it was like fire, you know, the fire of God's love transforming hearts. That's what the Torah was about. The Torah was about God's word that would transform hearts if you walked in the way of the Torah. So here is Pentecost, tongues of fire, referring to the law. Now the law is the new law is the Holy Spirit transforming the human heart. Okay, and then it says in verse five. I'm sorry, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, other tongues here refers to other languages that the apostles in the 120 didn't learn. They weren't linguists at all. Okay, they did not know, but the Holy Spirit gave these languages to reverse the Tower of Babel. Remember Babel, where uh, the story there where people said, uh, let's build a high tower. Basically, it was a city. And let's control it ourselves and keep God at arm's length distance. And the Lord sent confusion amongst them by all the different languages, right? Basically, what it was showing was that their rebellion of heart uh, was actually going to cause division and not unity. On the day of Pentecost, the Lord's work in people's hearts causes unity. What's the unity? We'll see in a moment. It's to proclaim Jesus to people. So you can have people from different languages, ways, uh, you know, different cultures, but they can be united in proclaiming Christ as the Savior of the human race. And so the different languages was a reversal of Babel because now they were proclaiming one, one voice, one message, and that was Jesus is the Savior. You know? so, okay. All right. And it's, uh, I'm going to skip over the next... Verse 5 talks about the different nations speaking in languages. Let's jump down to verse 11. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the whole purpose of the languages was to declare the mighty works of God. So if you were there on the day of Pentecost and you were of one of the 3,000 in the court there, you would have heard, and you were from Persia or someplace like that, you would have heard them speaking in your language. What would they be saying? Believe in Jesus. The mighty works of God were done in him. You know, repent of your sins and turn your life over to Christ, basically. It would be the essence of what they'd be saying. And, of course, it would be coming from the apostles and the disciples, there aren't 20, whom they knew darn well didn't know those languages. Okay? So, all right. And then verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, mocking them, said they are filled with new wine. Okay, so in other words, they were drunk. And, of course, Peter gets up and says, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We really aren't drunk. Okay. But, but, Luke, but Luke is saying that the new wine is actually a reference to the Holy Spirit. So others were mocking, saying they're filled with new wine. So like Luke was saying, let them mock, because really what they're mocking about is the new wine being lavishly poured out upon all who turn from their sins and put their faith in Christ. Okay, so what we're going to be talking about tonight, and particularly as we get to the outline here, is that 
how that new wine of the Holy Spirit is, is meant to refresh our life and is meant to make our Christian faith come alive as if it was being experienced for the first time in our life. So um, I'm sure we've all had that experience. Maybe of, um, you may have seen a movie that you really, really like, and you've seen it for the fifth time. It's like you're seeing it for the first time because <laughs> you really like that movie. Now, well, that's what we're talking about here. The work of the Holy Spirit is meant to take us who are baptized and confirmed and to make our faith like it's new for the first time. Times of refreshing. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, so with that in mind, let's turn in your outlines. We've got little diagrams for you this week. It took on computer. It took me it took me more time than I wanted. <laughs> okay, so we're going to be looking at tonight the difference between what's called baptism in the spirit, which I described that term for you, and what's called the release of the spirit in our life. First of all, let's take a look at letter A: our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, at Pentecost, it said they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that everyone is in one of three positions. So these are like spiritual positions. The first, if you look at the diagram to the, to the right there, the self is at the center of my life. That means it's me, myself, and I, and all that I'm about, and, and God is nowhere in the picture. That's called the natural person, meaning that the Lord is not anywhere near my life at all. In fact, I might even be baptized. This is from Ephesians 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So this is a reference to people that refuse to obey God, who don't want any parts of God in their life. They may have been baptized, but they keep them at arm's length distance, things like really, really outside of their life, and they could care less about them at all. Or they may just simply be an unbeliever. They've never been baptized. You know, it's called the natural person. In other words, all their life is focused upon themselves, basically. Okay, number two, the spiritual person. If you look at the outline here, Christ is at the center of that person's life. This is the circle. The spiritual man judges all things, but he himself to be judged by no one. So Christ is at the center. So here's the person who makes Jesus the center of their life who's controlled by the Holy Spirit. Their life is controlled by him. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means that they have made him the center of their life. And they try to live a life that grows in relationship with him and makes him more and more uh, the center of their life and gives him more and more control of every area of their life that they become aware of. And then number three, the carnal person. If you look at the, out of the drawing there, the self is still in the center, but Christ is there too. But he's not in the center, but he's, he's in the picture. Okay. So he's kind of in the picture, but he's not, I'm not making him the center of my life. I'm still the center of my life. But yes, I mean, I go to church on Sunday, basically. And when I get in trouble, I may say some prayers, you know. Um, I need some help, I say some prayers. But basically, I'm living for myself, but I do recognize Christ, you know, and his importance and so on. This is what the scripture says from 1 Corinthians 3. But brethren, I could not address you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh. Flesh simply means control by self. Okay. As babes in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And, and even yet you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife 
among you, you are not, are you not of the flesh behaving like ordinary men? Okay, so in other words, Paul said that because the Corinthians were so filled with jealousy and strife, Christ wasn't controlling their life, is they were controlling their life. But yet they recognized Jesus, and they were baptized in him, so they, they, they were church-going people, but they, he just wasn't the center in controlling their life. So, so the question is, which, which circle are you and I in? Okay, where do we fit in here? Okay. Obviously, the goal would be the spiritual person. That's what we'll be talking about tonight, how we give the Holy Spirit control of our life. Okay, so what in the letter B, what is the release of the Holy Spirit? From Ephesians 5, St. Paul says this, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled uh, by the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Okay, so Paul gives a description of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at that. Four truths of Ephesians 5. First is the verbs used for filled are plural, signifying all are to be filled. All, all people. So the... The understanding is this is not just an option for some people. Okay, this is not just for some people that may like this. This is not just for some people that may have a spiritual bent. Okay, this is for everyone is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, second truth is the gift of the Holy Spirit symbolizes the fullness of life and joy God promised people. So, you know, God promises his people joy, promises people his, his, the power of his life. So the Holy Spirit is a key person in that and bringing that to us. Number three, the purpose of being filled with the Spirit is worship and mutual upbuilding of a community. Worship and mutual upbuilding of the community. So, in other words, the purpose of being filled with the Spirit is to be able to help us worship the Lord and live a lifestyle of worship of Him, but also to build up the community, uh, the community with uh, serving the community, witnessing about Christ to others, serving others, growing in love, living in love with others, you know, um, using spiritual gifts to serve the community and so on. So, in other words, we're filled with the Holy Spirit to worship the Lord, and to build up the community. So it's the vertical and the horizontal. It's the love of God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the two parts. So that's the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And number four, the fourth truth is praise and thanksgiving for all God's gifts characterized being filled with the, with the Spirit. Praise. We learn to praise God for who he is and what he's doing. We give thanks for the way he's working in my own particular life. So think of that as a mode praise focus upon who he is and what he's doing. My, I remember uh, years ago, my father retired from uh, the Federal Credit Union. I went up to Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, actually, is where he retired from. And I witnessed his retirement dinner. And I remember seeing one person after another get up and talk about my father's attributes and what he accomplished and what that meant for the company and how it was to work with him and so on. And they were giving praise to my father for what he had accomplished. That's praise. So we look at the attributes of God. We look at what he does. 
We look at uh, what he's accomplished, and we praise him for that. We, and then give him thanks. When we give thanks, we say, Lord, thank you for what you've done in my life personally. So I can say, Lord, I praise you that you're the redeemer of the world. But Lord, I thank you that you have revealed your love for me that's forgiven my sins. So, it's, so we take what he did for the world and we make it personal. I thank you, Lord, I thank you for it. So both are like twins, praise and thanksgiving like twins, but they're really important. They express slightly different ways of relating to God and recognizing who he is and what he's done for us. So, but it's a characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we might want to look at our life and say, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I, you know, is my life filled with the Spirit of God so that I'm, my life is characterized by his joy and by his life flowing through me? Do I really enter into a life of worship of him? Do I live a lifestyle of worship, being trying to please him in every area of my life? Do I build up the community? You know, do I, do I serve the community? Do I build up the community? Do I walk in love with people? And is praise and thanksgiving t- characteristic of my prayer life? Is that, or am I, am I just simply like asking God all the time or saying, mea copa, mea copa for this or that and everything else, right? But we don't, we, we just forget about the praise and thanksgiving part of it. So, okay, so, so we talk about the Holy Spirit life. We ask those questions like, am I really filled with the Holy Spirit? All right, now let's take a look. I used two terms today, or to, uh, tonight, baptism in the Spirit. And the other term I'm going to be used, the phrase is release of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to explain what, what this is. Baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, that was the prophecy John the Baptist spoke about. When Jesus would come, he would baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So what does that phrase mean? I explained it, how the prophets understood it. How do we see it today? How do we see it working out practically? Let's take a look. And how do, how do I experience the Holy Spirit today? Okay, so let's take a look at baptism in the Spirit. We're going to compare both columns here. It occurs in the sacraments of baptism and confirmation. So when we're baptized and confirmed, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the new heart. And as he gives us, God comes to live in us through the Holy Spirit. So when I'm baptized, baptizing the Holy Spirit is another way of saying I'm baptized and confirmed. So when we were baptized as a baby or confirmed, maybe as a teenager or whatever, you know, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to live in me. And I was immersed, I was plunged into the life of his spirit. <clears throat> now let's go to the column right to your right, which the release of the Holy Spirit means. It's an experiential truth, meaning that I can experience now, at this moment, what my baptism says I have, which is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's very possible that I was baptized and confirmed, but I'm not experiencing anything. So it's not experiential. In other words, I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit through baptism and confirmation, but I'm not experiencing anything. So I'm not experiencing being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not experiencing um, mutual upbuilding of the community. I'm not experiencing praise and thanksgiving. I'm not experiencing his joy, his life through me. You know? so, so we can have it, but not be experiencing it. Okay, so, but the Lord wants us to have both. Second line there, oh, baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event. It happens in baptism and confirmation. Release of the Holy Spirit is a continuous event. It can happen many times. The apostles and the disciples in Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you go to Acts chapter 4, a couple of, you know, I don't know how long it was afterwards, but they were once again filled with the Holy Spirit. 
They needed more of the Holy Spirit. You think, well, wasn't Pentecost enough? Well, apparently the Holy Spirit didn't think so. Okay, They needed more. So it's a continuous event. Sometimes as Catholics, we say, well, I, I was baptized, I was confirmed, I got the sacraments, I'm done. And then we say, there's always more. There's more. So release the Holy Spirit is a continuous event. Number th- the third line is that um, in our sacraments of baptism and confirmation, we're given spiritual gifts. We call them charisms. The Greek word means, it's where we get the word charismatic. It means gifts of the Spirit. So all of us have been given gifts of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that we're utilizing or experiencing those gifts. So we need to, the release of the Holy Spirit means an experiential release of those gifts. In other words, it's discovering those gifts and utilizing those gifts for the sake of the community, to, help, to build up the community. The next line is, in baptism of the Spirit, I'm justified and adopted into God's family. I become a member of his family. I'm, I'm, I'm his son and daughter. I'm part of the body of Christ. Under the release of the Spirit, we say, there's new sendings of the Holy Spirit. St. Thomas Aquinas used to say that, hey, you know, the Holy Spirit was given in baptism, but there are, are new sendings of the Holy Spirit. He has new missions for us to get, to get into. He has new ministries for us to enter into. He has new phases or seasons in our life. I think that every time a priest is ordained or a couple is married, that it would be a praying for new sendings of the Holy Spirit in their life because it's a new time, a new season of their life. It's a new mission they're undertaking as disciples of Christ. Um, I think, uh, you know, you could have a beginning of a ministry in a parish. You should, you should pray over those people and pray for new sendings of the Holy Spirit in that, in that person or group's life because they're entering into a new phase of, of uh, serving that community, perhaps in a new way. A new, maybe it's a new ministry in the community. In other words, there should be new sendings of the Holy Spirit for that particular uh, event that's taking place. Um, so you can go on and on with that. My point is, and Thomas Aquinas' point is, there are always new sendings of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and then to summarize the baptism of the Spirit in the sacraments of initiation, which is baptism and confirmation, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but there's always more. Teresa of Avila said that. There's always more. And then, so what's the more? The release of the Spirit is the new sending of the Holy Spirit with charisms or spiritual gifts. The charisms or spiritual gifts equip the believer, that should be believer, to grow in holiness, serve the body of Christ, and give witness to the risen Lord Jesus. So those three things, grow in holiness, serve the body of Christ, and give witness to the risen Lord Jesus. So the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into contact with the risen Christ so we can serve his body, so we can grow in holiness, and give witness to him. So that's the difference with those two terms, baptism of the Spirit and release of the Holy Spirit. Where we are today is that a lot of Catholics have been baptized in the Spirit, in other words, baptized and confirmed, but aren't experiencing the release of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're not experiencing the charisms. They're not experiencing a faith that's alive and awakened in their life. They're not experiencing praise and thanksgiving as something that's natural for them to move into. They're not experiencing the joy and the life of the Lord flowing through them. So what we do is we pray over Catholics to experience a release of the Holy Spirit in their life. And we pray for more, uh, a release of the charisms or the gifts. We pray for new sendings of the Holy Spirit into that person's life. And there's great results because the Lord loves to answer that prayer. So we'll take a look at the conditions for that in just a minute. Okay, so let us see. What are the evidences of the release of the Holy Spirit in our life? 
again, I say evidence is what are the things that show up when we pray for a person to experience the release of the Holy Spirit in their life? Personal experiences may vary, but here's the common, common things. First of all, greater desire for prayer, number one. There's a new taste for prayer in that person's life. They may have been struggling with prayer. Prayer may have been dry, boring, like when you felt they were praying to the wall. You know, it was bouncing right back at them. So when we pray for release of the Holy Spirit, there's a new desire for prayer. Number two, a, a desire to grow in the Word of God. The Scriptures become alive. I remember when I was praying with for release of the Holy Spirit in my life, one of the first things that happened is somebody put a Bible in my hand and a book came alive to me. Before that, it was sitting on a shelf collecting dust. Well, it was my job to wipe it off every, every week. You know, <laughs> I know it was collecting dust. But when I was, when I was praying over for release of the Holy Spirit, it was like, now the Bible became alive to me. It's like, like, it was like the words jumped off the page. And when I was reading the book of Acts, for example, or I was saying, hey, I can identify with that. Like, that's part of my experience, too. So that's one of the, res- uh, one of the good evidences of the release of the Holy Spirit. Number three, there's an increased use of spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. There's an awareness that my life has a purpose to serve the Christian body. And the Lord has given me gifts to do that. It's a matter of discovering those gifts and experiencing those gifts. <clears throat> Number four, a new power to overcome patterns of sin. There's a new inner power. Remember Jesus talked about power from on high, like uh, transforming power. There's a new power to be able to overcome patterns of sin that just been so struggled, that struggle with so much. You know, now I have like a new energy within me to overcome. Number five, desire to share Christ with others. There's, a, there's a, something of a natural desire to want to share Christ. I remember one of the characteristics for me when I was, um, and this showed up for me after I was praying with for release of the Holy Spirit, I was working at, at that time, Woolworths, putting myself through college, right? I was cleaning dishes and busing tables and all that stuff. And I remember, you know, you get in talk to conversations with people and they talk about their their problems and so on. Well, you know, I began, I would of course listen like I always did and then empathize with them. And then I would just say, well, I really don't know really what to say, but I know Jesus loves you. He wants to help you. It's like those words like went out of my mouth. I said, can I have those words back? You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like, it just came out naturally because here's the, and I I didn't know at the time, but reflecting on it much later, it was like, because Jesus was becoming more real to me because of the release of the Holy Spirit, I want to share with them the very thing I knew could help them because I knew it helped me. That was he loves you. And I know if you turn to him, he'll help you too. That's called evangelization. I didn't know what that word even meant. <laughs> if you would have said evangelization, I would have said, what? What's that? You know, that, but that's what it was. So when we experience the release of the Holy Spirit, like there's a new desire to share Christ. It comes naturally to us. Number six, a due awareness of our need to gather with other Christians for fellowship. Remember when you were baptized and I was baptized and we were confirmed, we say, we say things like this, we're part of the body of Christ. Great theology, but for most Catholics, it's not very practical. But when you experience the release in the Holy Spirit in your life, you recognize, hey, I need to be with other Christians, to share my faith with them, to pray with them, to serve with them. I like to say around here, better, we're better together. 
but we become aware of our need to become better together with the release of the Holy Spirit. He makes that he makes that a, a, a truth to us, a reality to us. Number seven, a greater desire for praise, especially use of the spiritual language of tongues. Now, I'll be happy to answer any question later about that as you like, but there's a desire to praise God and to, and to acknowledge the majesty and the greatness of who he is. Like he just becomes suddenly so awesome to us, right? But my language, my own words, has ceiling. So the Lord gives us the spiritual language of tongues, which is other languages to express our praise of him. Have you ever had somebody you really love and you say, you use all the words you can possibly think of to tell them you love them. But then you realize all those words, as great as they are, just don't quite cover it. Like, can I have, I need something else to tell them how much I love them. And we usually find ways to do that. Expressions, gifts that we give or whatever. Well, that's the way it is with the Lord. Our language is beautiful before him. Our words of praise are beautiful before him, but they just don't quite encompass everything that my heart wants to say. So he, the Lord says, okay, I got a solution for you. It's the language of, of it's, it's the language of my spirit. It's called the prayer language of my Holy Spirit. And he, he gives that gift abundantly to those who desire it. Number eight, a new awareness of the risen Christ in the sacraments. Sacraments, which for us as Catholics have been so much a part of our life, and they become they can become so familiar to us, you know. But when we're with the release of the Holy Spirit life, the sacraments take on a whole new meaning. It's like we're experiencing them for the first time. I can't tell you when I experienced that in my life. It was like mass was something I endured, okay? something I just was able to get through. You know, it was sort of like boring. You know, but with the release of the Holy Spirit in my life, like He made the mass like come alive to me in a way that I never experienced before. It's like I was seeing the Mass for the first time. And not just the Mass, but the other sacraments as well. And number nine, a greater faith expectancy. Faith expectancy of the Lord working in situations of ministry, prayer, and worship. And not just that. Um, if I pray and ask the Lord for guidance, I have an expectancy that, yeah, he's going to guide me because he loves me. If I ask the Lord for a help to overcome a pattern of sin, yeah, I know the Lord's going to help me because he loves me. There's a greater faith expectancy that he's going to act in my life. And it doesn't come because, like, somebody's, like, a cheerleader for you, and they're just rooting you on. No, it's something the Holy Spirit does in us. He gives us an expectancy that the Lord's going to act and work in our life because he loves us. It's as simple as that. It's not because we've done great things. It's not because, you know, I had a good week. No, it's simply because he loves me, and he's going to work in my life. It's going to guide me. It may not, may not, you know, may not get everything I'm asking for. That's not really as important. What's important is that I know He's going to be working in my life. I just know it. How do I know it? Because I know He loves me, and the Holy Spirit brings that awareness and that understanding. Okay, let's turn over to the next page. Okay, so we're going to look at here. Letter D is how do we experience a release of the Holy Spirit in our life? Very simple, by the way. Number one is we ask for release of the Holy Spirit and desire it. We ask for it. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and exclaimed, Let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. He said this in reference to the Spirit, that those who came to believe in him were to receive. There was, of course, no Spirit yet, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. John chapter 7. 
So Jesus here talks about thirsting and drinking. It's a language of asking. It's a language of faith, asking, coming to him and asking. So it's again, it's asking for the more in our life that he wants to give. St. Teresa of Avila said that a lot of times we don't know what's possible with the Holy Spirit, she said, because we just don't, we don't have the knowledge. So she says, gain the knowledge. The knowledge leads to desire, which leads to prayer. These saints were very simple and practical. Okay. Number two, repent of sin and receive God's cleansing. It's tough to get filled with the Holy Spirit when we're filled with a whole bunch of other stuff. So repentance is really an important way. We repent for what we know that we need to get rid of in our life that's not compatible with the Holy Spirit. So first letter, John, if we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. So repentance is a part is a key thing. And we're not talking here about a search and destroy mission. We're just simply saying, Lord, there's some things I'm aware of that I know are not compatible with you. I just repent of them. I turn away from them, you know, um, because and I ask you to cleanse me of them. Simple as that. Number three, we yield to the Holy Spirit's control and leadership of Jesus in every area of your life. And when I say by yielding, we just simply means you ever you ever driven on the freeway. Of course, you come to a, a, a yield sign. You don't really stop, but you kind of slow down and look right both ways and let other people have the way if they're coming. Well, here we're talking about giving control of the Holy Spirit, our life over to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just surrender, I yield as much of my life as I can possibly think of to you. you know? So this is what St. Paul says, Galatians chapter 2, yet I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Insofar as I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and given himself up for me. So Paul was expressing his desire of yielding to the Lord. He says, I want Christ to live in me. Now, it's not, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. I want to surrender every area of my life to him. And then Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 8. And he called to him the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. So it's, it's another way of describing Jesus saying to his disciples, yield and your, or surrender your life over to me. Yield the areas of your life to me. Just give them over to me. Yeah. All right. And number four is we give praise and thanks for the Holy Spirit, the Lord's Holy Spirit at work within you. So in other words, we thank him for what he's doing. So if I yield control to him, Lord, I thank you that you're taking control. You know, uh, if I repent of my sin, I thank you, Lord, that you are that you're cleansing me of my sin. And then if I ask, Lord, release your Holy Spirit in me, so I thank you and I give you praise that, you, that you're going to release the Holy Spirit in my life and his gifts in my life as well. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. And this is, a, this is a key phrase you might like to underline, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing with the release of the Holy Spirit. He's refreshing us. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for establishing all that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. In other words, the Lord wants to fulfill in your life and mine you know, everything that he promised through his son, Jesus. And he does that by sending his Holy Spirit to give us times of refreshing in our life. 
And the refreshing is a making all things new for us in our life. Okay, so let's take a few minutes. Take about 15 minutes, if you would, to take a look at those questions. We're not going to go over the questions in the large groups. The questions are just for you guys in your small groups. Uh, about 8 o'clock or so, we'll open it back up for anyone who has questions or comments about anything. Not tonight, just not tonight, but in the series that we just are finishing up.